So today's service will be in segments, and we're going to tell stories, and we're going to sing, and we're going to share from our own family traditions and observances, when appropriate. And we know that last night, some of you may have been partying quite hard to celebrate the winter solstice, and some of us <laughs> were oblivious. <laughs> so winter solstice occurred last night at 11.10 p.m., Remember that? Remember that TV commercial, It's Midnight, Where Are Your Children? Mm -hmm. So it's 11.10. Where were you at the winter solstice? So the shortest day of the year has passed for this year. And though we often lament the darkness, often lament the darkness, there is much beauty and darkness to be found. Let's join together in singing hymn number 55, Dark of Winter. I'm going to give you the option. You can stand or sing or sit, but you must sing. Sorry. Stand or sit as you wish. Our first story is a story written for children. It's one of those true stories, not quite factual, but true. The story of the rebirth of the sun. So the story goes that it was the middle of winter and the sun had grown very, very old. All year long, the sun had worked hard, rising and setting day after day after day. And the sun had fed everybody on the earth, shining and shining, giving energy to the trees and the flowers and the grasses so that they could grow and feed the animals and the birds and the insects and the people. 
all year, the sun's gravity, that's that force that pulls things in. It held tight to the spinning ball that we call Earth and to the twirling ball up in the sky that we call Moon and to all the other planets around as they traveled around and around the sun. The poor sun was getting dizzy watching it all, all these different things. Now, the poor sun could barely make it up in the morning and after a very short time needed to sleep again. So the days grew shorter and shorter and shorter and the nights longer and longer and longer until a day was so short that some thought it was hardly even worth getting up again. And night began to feel sorry for the sun. Come to my arms and rest, child, she said. After all, I am your mother. And you were born out of my darkness billions of years ago. And you will return to me when all things end. Let me cradle you now as I shoulder every galaxy and star in the universe. So night wrapped her big arms around the sun and the night was very long indeed. And the children all over the earth asked, why does the dark go on so long? I want to go out and play. Won't the sun ever come back again? The sun is very tired, the older ones said. But maybe if your children say thank you for all the things that the sun does for you, the light might feel like returning in the morning. So the children began to think of things that they were thankful for. And they said things like, thank you for growing the flowers. Thank you for growing the wheat that makes my bread. Thank you for growing the trees and the fish in the ocean. And thank you for stirring the air and making winds. Thank you for making rain. And the children sang songs. But every time that a child said thank you, the sun began to feel a little warmer and a little brighter. Wrapped safely in the arms of night, the sun miraculously grew younger and younger. Well, the children did have to go to bed to get some sleep, but we will stay up and wait for the sun to rise again, the older folks said. Oh, can't we stay up too, said the kids. You can try, but you will get so sleepy, said the older ones. But you can each light a candle, because all fire is a spark of the sun's fire. Put your candle in a very safe place and let it keep vigil for you. Keeping vigil is like keeping watch. Let it keep vigil for you as you sleep and as you dream of the sunrise. So the children lit their candles and put them in very safe places, of course. And they knew that each flame was a little spark of the sun's fire. The sun peeped out from be between the arms of night, saw all those little fires, and began to feel warmer and brighter and younger still. Early in the morning, the older ones and the children climbed a high hill and faced to the east. That's the direction where we see the sun rising. They sang songs and they ran around trying to keep warm because it was cold. They waited and they waited and they waited and they waited to see what dawn would bring. Slowly the sky began to turn from black to indigo to blue. 
Slowly, things became light, and a golden glow crept over the horizon. Night opened her great arms, and in a burst of brightness, the sun appeared, new and strong and shining. For in the long night, the sun had rested well and had grown young from the songs and the thanks of the children, young as a brand new baby born out of night once more. Everybody cheered, and the children jumped up and down. The sun has returned, the sun has returned, the sun is reborn, the people cried. And they danced and they sang some more to celebrate the birth of a new day. And then they went home for breakfast and coffee. And that is a story that some people tell about the rebirth of the sun. This type of story is a common one in many cultures. It's told over and over in many variations. We have the season that some people call Yuletide, a 12-day season that comes to us from pre-Christian Scandinavia. Times of feasting and merrymaking and decking the halls with greenery. Greenery. <laughs> and on the long longest night, some people, not just children, lots of people chant and sing and dance around a fire outdoors, or they light candles indoors or burn a Yule log. Is there anyone here who has a winter solstice tradition that they would like to share with us? And it's okay if you don't. <laughs> okay. So to mark the winter solstice, you know we're a day late, kind of, for lighting the candle. But we're going to go ahead and light the candle on the small Yule log here in the front. And I invite you to sing that song that we sang at the beginning, Rise Up, O Flame. The flame will carry us through the service. take time each week when we come together as a community to share our joys and sorrows. By sharing a joy, we amplify that joy in the world and in our community. By sharing a sorrow, we ask others to be there with us and help carry the burden. If you would like to share something, please raise your hand and Bob will bring you the microphone and I will light a candle up front for you. Hi, I'm Ingrid. Um, two tough things that happened this week. Um, one isn't so bad. I, I was diagnosed with a little basal cell on my face, and I have to get that taken care of, and she assures me it's not going to kill me. So <laughs> I just have to get it removed, and it's very light, so that's okay. The other thing was one of my um, 
One of my cats had to be rushed to the uh, emergency vet the other night for uh, respiratory issues, and he spent two nights there. And he's he's home, and he's doing well. He's doing better every day, but it's still really scary, and I have to give him medicine, which makes him gag. And I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, that. yeah. It's just it's just awful, and we're just watching him every second to make sure he's okay, and monitoring every tablespoon of food he eats, and. It's just been a, a very stressful week in that regard, so that's what's going on. What's your cat's name? Oh, his name is Forrest. Uh, I'm Judy, and I would like you to light a candle for a young cousin of mine um, who has been diagnosed with breast cancer. She is a week younger than my daughter, and uh, from all the tests and everything, I think she probably will do well, but it was a big shock. Just two young children. Uh, Paul, I would like to share uh, two holiday joys. Uh, I haven't been here for a while because at Thanksgiving we flew away to Europe to visit my wife's family in Europe, and it was incredibly wonderful. I'd never been to Europe in the winter time, and most of the times when we would go, we would we would rent a car. We'd be there for three uh, uh, three weeks or more. But this time we only visited family. But the joy and the hospitality that they extended to us was overwhelming, and also. Also, just wandering through Europe, where you're surrounded with uh, castles, cobblestones, and cathedrals, it's just absolutely beautiful. And it's just, it's just thrilling. And um, uh, actually, most of her family lives in East Germany, but they also live in the West. It's Würzburg and Sonneberg, uh, the two towns, and have just. I don't know why this time was exceptionally wonderful, but I guess I haven't been there for a while, and so it was just a pleasure to see the family and uh, and uh, and all those castles, cobblestones, <laughs> and cathedrals. You know, really beautiful. And the other um, the other joy is after 30 years of having a career of doing art on uh, demand, art on demand as an art, as a graphic designer, illustrator, photographer. Art director, I'm having a gallery show for the first time ever, and I would like to invite everyone. It's called Paper on Paper. It's at the Cold Spring Gallery, you know, in the Cold Spring there, and um, it's it's going to be the it's, uh, the opening will be the first Friday. Of the new year, and then it go for a week and a half or so, you know. Uh, so it's called paper on paper, and I'll exhibit three different types of paper, paper art that I do, you know. But this is the first gallery show. I never intended to be a gallery artist; always been graphic designer, illustrator, photographer. But I mean, this is my first, my first gallery show. So I'd like to invite you to Cold Spring, to the Bijou Gallery. So. Good morning, I'm Pamela. Um, my father's having really serious um, health problems right now, and I'd love you to light a candle. Thank you. 
I didn't have a joy, then my daughter reminded me that she was the joy. So my daughter, <laughs> my daughter's visiting, <laughs> her and her husband are visiting for a week. <laughs> Hi, I'm Leslie. I had the joy of discovering at Lasden Park yesterday there's a Chinese garden. And although I haven't been to Asia, it was amazing to go there. A little icy, so you have to be sure-footed, but a beautiful place to visit right in our own backyard. Hi, I'm Ellie. I'm going to share. I want to share this for my daughter Jody, who is not a Unitarian, but her best friend was diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, seven years ago, and came through it really great. She's been really in wonderful health for six years, and now. <coughs> And now she's not doing too well, Debbie. Debbie Pfeiffer. So I would like you to light a candle of joy because she's a joyful woman, as my daughter Jody is. And I, I just, I just have exquisite memories of them as little girls. Thanks. I'm Elaine, and I'd like you to light a candle for my nephew who is, uh, has kidney failure, and I hope he comes through this. So um, I'm, I'm feeling very upset and sad. Hi, I'm Jennifer. I have a, a joy. Um, the high school auditioned this past week for their um, spring performance. And although Aiden auditioned, he also auditioned for the pit. And he told them that um, he, they should put him wherever he was most needed. So he is going to be playing third, um, third keyboard in the pit this year. And he's very excited to be taking on this because he, although he's done the plays before, he hasn't performed in the pit before, and he's really excited to be doing that one. So, a joy for Aiden. So, I light the la a last candle, an additional candle, as always, to hold all the sorrows and joys that are left unspoken in our lives. And we pray for them.
we take an offering each week to support the ministries of this congregation. The ability to keep the lights burning here and the ability to send you out to be lights to the world. Thank you, that was beautiful. <clears throat> so we got here a little bit too late for the real solstice, and we're a little bit too early for the real Hanukkah candle lighting. Hanukkah begins this evening at sundown and ends Monday evening, December 30th. It is an eight-day celebration. Who among us grew up celebrating Hanukkah? <laughs> Formally or informally, wonderful, wonderful. So I have a kid-friendly version of the Hanukkah story, and the kids are playing a game, so we'll see if they can hear it. Um, it and it's fine. It comes from the Rabbi Sarah Sapadin, who serves the Reform Temple Emmanuel in New York City. So as she tells the story, long ago, about 2,200 years ago, the land of Israel was ruled by a very wicked king named Antiochus. And he had many Jewish people in, 
in his land. And they had lived according to their customs and traditions, observing the Sabbath, celebrating festivals, and most importantly, worshiping at the ancient temple in the city of Jerusalem. This temple was the center of Jewish life and the holiest place on earth. But this particular king didn't want to rule over a nation of many religions and many cultures. He wanted a place that was just like him, one religion and one culture. So he wanted everyone to live and pray the way he prayed, and he prayed to Greek gods. So he abolished the practice of Judaism, forbade the Jews to, to observe their Sabbath, to observe their festivals, and to even study and read from the Torah, their sacred text. Worst of all, he forbade worshiping in the temple. And he turned their temple into something that was very unholy to them by setting up idols and altars to Greek gods in that space. Naturally, many Jews were afraid for their lives, so they felt forced to follow the king's orders. But there was one group of brave souls who decided that they would not submit to the king, and they would not worship the foreign gods or give up their Jewish way of life that they had known for longer than they could remember. And this group was called the Maccabees. They were determined to take back their temple and defend their religious freedom. They had several rulers, and at one time they were ruled by Judah, who led them in what is called the Maccabean Revolt. And even though compared to the king's army, they were small in numbers, they were mighty in spirit. They fought hard against the king's army for over two years before they finally won a victory. Upon winning the victory, they, they go to take back the temple from King Antiochus, and they are heartbroken when they enter to see the condition it had been in. This king had not taken good, play, good care of their holy place. So they get to work cleaning and purifying it, and they remove all the foreign idols and altars to put it back to the way it should be. They held a glorious rededication ceremony. The word Hanukkah that we have today means dedication, and it comes from this moment. There are several renditions of the story about the rededication. The one that comes from the Talmud says that when they walked into the temple, they found only enough oil to light the temple lamps and keep the eternal flame burning for one day. But miraculously, that small amount of oil lasted for eight days, which was the amount of time that it took for them to go and seek and bring back pure oil. So today, Hanukkah is celebrated for eight days in honor of those miracles. And as the rabbis lifted up, with every Hanukkah candle that's lit, we relight the most important message of all, that we must always work to find light in the darkness and must always work to keep the light of religious freedom burning for all people for all time. Let's celebrate now with song number 221.
I love that line of creativity. <laughs> In a moment, we're going to light the menorah. Um, and I wonder if anyone here has a Hanukkah tradition or teaching, not, not captured yet, that they might like to share. And that's okay. Hi, I'm Ingrid. Um, I work with children, as many of you know, and um, this is an occupational therapist, and we try at our facility to have, you know, to celebrate all the holidays. So we're doing Hanukkah activities, and we're doing Christmas activities, and it's very funny to see the kids that celebrate Hanukkah pretending to be on the sleigh, and kids that are celebrating Christmas to try, you know, to light the candles. We had this activity where they were, we had, I had laminated candles and they were going through an obstacle course and sticking the candle on the menorah and, and learning about dreidels and um, <laughs> unfortunately there's not as many activities for children <laughs> that we, we searched high and low but we, we came up with a few and, uh, and, the, and then having them do the Christmas stuff too and just trying to explain in three-year-old speak and four-year-old speak the difference between the two and, um, and how uh, how important it is for different families and have some wishing that they celebrated something else. And mm -hmm. um, it's sometimes a difficult conversation to have, but uh, we tried to make it comfortable for everyone and as well as for the parents. So, so um, we didn't want the Jewish kids coming back with Christmas trees and the, you know, it, it, so it, we just, we did a lot of, we did a lot of non-denominational stuff as well. So um, yeah, that's what we're doing. I search for uh, things in, in Jewish tradition that touch me. Um, there's a story about Buncher Schweig, who's a humble man and has led a very ethical life, doing mitzvahs, favors, taking care of sick people, etc. And uh, comes to pass that there's a little girl out in the road and there's a, a runaway coach with horses uh, galloping down the street and he jumps to pull this little girl out of the path of, of the coach and horses and, and he's killed. And um, the angel says, um, you know, you've, you've led a very honorable and ethical life. Uh, when you come to heaven, you can have anything that you want, you know. What, what does your heart desire? And he says, you think I could have a hot roll with my coffee in the morning? <laughs> so when I have my coffee and my hot roll, I just say, bunch of schweik. It was a tradition that during Hanukkah time that you give, gave Hanukkah gelt, which made, meant money. And what happened was my parents would always give me a little bag of chocolate coins. They looked like coins, but, but on the inside there was chocolate. Well, I couldn't wait to get my chocolate coins. <laughs> they gave it to me for eight days. 
Now, my tradition is giving my family money because <laughs> I'm a terrible gift giver. And they want gifts, and I said, buy your own. Get what you really want. <laughs> and it's gotten more than chocolate. <laughs> uh, we have one more person here to share something, and then we'll move on. I'm not Jewish, but my husband was Jewish. And uh, tonight, I will light the Hanukkah candles in his honor for Sam. So it is not kosher, so to speak, to uh, light the special menorah candles during the daytime or to light the Hanukkah candles outside of the Hanukkah time of observation. However, I have it on the word of modern rabbis in the Reformed Judaic tradition that they do approve of doing so in a setting like this for educational purposes. So we're going to light one candle. I've asked Judy to come forward to help with this. So normally the menorah, which we have in front here, the wooden one, would be placed in the window of a family home. This is a family ritual and observation in the evening. It would be in the window so people outside can see it. And it is an act of witness and proclamation of the miracle. So I would like you to turn to response of reading number 629 in your hymnals which contains the Hanukkah blessing that would be said, or close version of it, in many homes beginning this tonight. And Judy will take the candle in the center, which is called a shamash, as the helper candle, and light the first candle. Let's start with people on the left and respond with people on the right. <laughs> and this is what happens when you go to put the menorah in the window, too, you know, my left or their left, <laughs> right, right, Let's start with the window side and the forest side. Okay, okay forest side. Window side, begin. Emmanuel is Hebrew for God with us. The name was used by the prophet Isaiah in the Hebrew Bible and in the Christian Old Testament in reference to the promised Messiah. So about a century and a half after the rededication of the second temple in Jerusalem, we encounter another development in Jewish history and tradition. The Jewish people had long anticipated the arrival of a Messiah, someone who would be descended from the house of David, 
and who would be God's appointed king to Israel. This Messiah was said that he would come and liberate and unify the Jewish people in renewing their covenant with God. It was foretold that he would come after, and it was always a he, it would come after the fulfillment of many conditions that were to be achieved by the Jewish people and then usher in the messianic age of worldwide peace. Now, during the first century in, in uh, Israel, debate and disagreement about God and about understandings and expectations of this particular Messiah were really very, very common. So it's not surprising that in the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, some people would see the long-awaited Messiah and they would become Christ followers. In the Christian New Testament, they would start calling Jesus Emmanuel. Others, however, would consider Jesus of Nazareth a false messiah because he lived before the rabbinic era and did not emerge from the fulfillment of the messianic era of the Jewish people. So they would see his story as merely the birth of yet another human in a long line of sages and wise teachers. Something to think about as we sing this next song.
already calling. So this is a story that you're coming to expect of the birth of Jesus, the nativity story. As it is told, the Roman Emperor Octavian Augustus had issued an order calling for a census of the entire world in order to fairly tax his people. It was the first of its kind, and it was mandated in the East, and the requirement was that you had to go to register in the town where you had been born, regardless of where you lived. And so the story is that Joseph leaves the city of Nazareth in Galilee and travels south to Bethlehem in Judea, where he had been born. And he is accompanied on the trip by a young woman named Mary, to whom he is engaged. And Mary is pregnant and will soon give birth. When they reach Bethlehem, they search for a place to spend the night, and the innkeeper tells them that there's no more room at the inn. We hear this so often, it's important to understand what, how we interpret it versus what it really meant in Palestinian Christian lands. The custom was to have a house with one room for the family and one room for guests. And in these days, the, the animals would be on a lower level, but adjacent and adjoined to the house. This is how part of the house kept warm from the warmth of animals. So when there's no room at the inn, this is not Holiday Inn. This is not a lodge. This is a family home, and there are already guests in the other room. So that's the more historically accurate piece. But we say there's no more room at the inn, and he shows them to the area where the animals live, sometimes portrayed as a barn. And there the baby is born and wrapped and swaddled in cloth. And because there is no bed, he is laid in a manger, and a manger is a feeding trough for cattle. And they name the baby Jesus. And the story tells us that in the hills nearby, there were shepherds keeping their flock at night. And a messenger of God, an angel, appeared to them, and the earth around them was lit with a powerful light. They are frightened, but the angel's voice comforts them and says, do not be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. There will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And then, miraculously, a chorus of angels appears and sings, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace and goodwill among all. So the shepherds hurry off to Bethlehem to see what this is about, and they do find Joseph and Mary and the baby lying in the manger. After some time, they return to their field and begin to tell stories about the miraculous night they've experienced. Meanwhile, after Jesus had been born, there was a party of astrologers, it is said, from Iran, who arrived in Jerusalem and began to ask, where can we find the young prince who shall inherit the throne of Israel? We have seen the star of royalty, the star in the east, appearing in the constellations of Jewry, 
at sunrise. And so we have come to pay all due respect to the newborn prince of the Jews. Now the Roman king of Judea, King Herod, is a little bit livid when he hears about this. Question from the astrologers, he notes that he did not just have a son. So he calls a council of fact finders and experts to advise him on the matter. And they begin to search the ancient Jewish scriptures and they find a prophecy that says, Bethlehem, it's from you that the leader of my people Israel shall come and nowhere else. So the fact finders advise King Herod, send the astrologer to Bethlehem, they'll find him there. And so they do set off with the star of royalty, the star of the east, shining before them the whole way. They enter the house and see baby and Mary, and they kneel before a king, offering their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The astrologers had been warned in a dream not to keep their word with King Herod. And be being very wise men, they returned to Iran by another route. And that is the humble story of the birth of Jesus. Let us sing together, O little town of Bethlehem.
Today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, which is the period leading up to the celebration of the nativity of the birth of Jesus. The Advent season is one of openness and calm, receptivity and anticipation. Observers are busy preparing themselves internally and externally for this Christmas celebration. In many homes, lighting an Advent wreath each Sunday is part of this preparation. Is there anyone here for whom this is a, an ongoing practice in their homes? Oh. We might need to do something about that. <laughs> Ingrid, could I ask you to light the candles while I say what they signify? So today, you will take the, no. Today we light the first candle. Uh, candles are often in different colors, purple and pink, sometimes white. So we light, the candles on the outside, the tall ones. We light the first candle in the name of hope. The second candle, oh, let's see. First candle in the name of hope. The second candle for peace. The third candle for joy, and the fourth candle is lit in the name of love. And remaining in the center is what is called the Christ candle, which marks the coming of light into the world as embodied in the life and teachings of Jesus. And we will light that one on Christmas Eve. There is, let's see. There's another chapter, though, to the story of Advent, and it has to do with an important nuance that's often overlooked. In the early Christian text, the original Greek word, parousia, which was then tra uh, translated into Latin as Adventus, refers to the second coming of Jesus Christ, not the birth story. So then, in the fullest sense, then, Christmas is a celebration of three comings of Christ the birth of the baby Jesus in the past, in the present, the birth of the inner Christ, becoming Christ like ourselves and carrying and cultivating those tendencies and characteristics. And in the future, the so-called second coming of Christ and the reign of God, because this would be the fulfillment of the prophecy, the triumph of good over evil and of worldwide peace. So we've heard a number of stories We've heard them here, we hear them out there in the world. And regardless of where you are on the spectrum of belief and which parts of which stories you've heard today or in the season you believe in or you believe or find true or not, I want you to know that you too can be vessels that bring light into dark corners. The light that brings warmth and comfort to those who hunger for human contact, who hunger for healing and growth. You can bring the light of truth, which encounters dark forces of oppression and evil. And of course, you bring the light of ever-abundant and everlasting love. 
with you. This is the love that showed to the world beauty, vision, and joy. Let's close with our closing hymn, This Little Light of Mine. and uh, join me in reciting the chalice extinguishing words and then we're going to sing again our next sun song. We extinguish the flame, flame without the light of truth.